Chapter 8, Part 1, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Peter on. I think one of the things that I, I think you and I can probably agree upon is this. No one in this room ever wants to go through a season of darkness. None of you would sign up for it. But when you're in it, you don't want to get out sometimes because you don't know how. Because maybe heading towards a different path, which might be light, is actually death-defying. It's, it's almost you're gripped with fear and you're paralyzed and, 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 and not knowing what's going to happen if you go a different direction than the darkness you might be in today sometimes doesn't give you the motivation to want to move forward. It's a reality that you and I have, are gripped with. Best example I can give to you is that several years ago, I was in South Africa with a group of pastors, and uh, we go with it, of course, learn what Zamela is doing, and I want these pastors and other people that come with me to learn the great work that they're doing in South Africa. But the other aspect is to really enjoy uh, what South Africa has to offer us. And one of the things I like to take pastors with and other people who come with me is we go on a safari drive to see the wild animals. And the best place to go is a place that I know of called Nambiti. It's about the size of Bergen County. And uh, it's just loaded with animals. And one of the great things about Nambiti is that your rooms are actually in the safari game reserve, all right? And so when the rangers meet with us, they give us some ground rules. Number one, they'll say, don't ever go out of your rooms in the dark because there could be an animal waiting for you. Right? There could be a leopard, there could be a lion. So if you want to leave the room, you got to call us and we'll come and pick you up. Because right? we know the area much better than you do. And so the first night we get there, it was in the evening we got there. Um, you know, we got into the room and Eugene was my, was my roommate, Pastor Eugene Cho. And, uh, and so I had to just set up my surge protector, I had to charge my phone, all that kind of stuff. And when I plugged the, uh, the, the surge protector into the converter, I blew the fuse. Our room was completely dark. And Eugene and I had a decision. We couldn't make a phone call because, again, the phone was connected and needed, and needed electricity. And so we couldn't call the rangers. And we're thinking, do we just stay in this room in the dark the entire night? Or do we actually muster up enough courage and walk about 300 feet in the wild to get to the lodge and to get the ranger? Like, we didn't know. So we just said, well, let's see if we can find the fuse box. And so we got our phones and we tried to find it. The room was huge. There's no way you can find it. And we thought about it, we deliberated, and we said, let's take the chance. And so we walked about 300 feet, it was the most terrifying 300 feet we ever walked together, literally holding each other's hand, doing this, right, so that there's power in numbers. And we go there, and the rangers see us, they're like, what are you doing? And we just said, I blew a fuse, there's no electricity in the room. They took us back, and that fuse box was behind the painting, man. Couldn't believe they did that to us. Everything was good. But we had to make a decision. And sometimes, though, when you're in the darkness, we never signed up for it. The fear of getting out of it is so nerve-wracking that we'd rather maybe just stay in the darkness. Do you know what I mean? And so Jesus, today, is we're going to look at John chapter 8. He teaches the second of the seven I am statements. He says, I am the light of the world. Amen. Powerful. This is powerful. We're going to unpack that. What does that really mean? What does light mean? What did he mean when he said light? And then how do we begin to sort of live into that light? And 
I'm, I'm just saying that we can look at a, a statement like that, an I am statement, and it's powerful, right? Jesus is the light of the world, but it's hard that when you're in the darkness, it's hard sometimes to muster up enough courage to want to walk towards the light. And some of you, you've been in a dark world for way too long. You don't need it no more. You need to follow the light of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about how we do that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 8. We're going to look at 12 through 20. John 8, 12 through 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards. But I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct if, in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree with something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my father who sent me is the other. Where is your father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. The word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, some people in this room have been living in darkness for so long. And God, the thought of getting out of it, even though they never want to be a part of it, and they never wanted, they didn't sign up, they didn't, they didn't sign up to live in this darkness. The thought of living outside of it, not knowing what might happen, is terrifying to some. And I think the enemy uses that to sort of couch us and to paralyze us to stay in that darkness. Lord, you are the light. We don't have to live in the darkness. And so today we just speak to every single one of us, those in this room, in the nursery, to those who are watching online. And may your light shine in our lives so that one day it can emanate outward and be a blessing for your kingdom. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray God it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so Jesus is teaching this powerful teaching during the Feast of the Tabernacle. Now, we've been in the Feast of the Tabernacle. We've been talking about this feast for several weeks now. This is the last days. Most scholars say that it was during the evening. And when Jesus was teaching this, he was in the section of the temple called the Court of Women. All right, let's see a diagram. Here's Herod's temple. This is the temple where Jesus was teaching in. And so the Court of Women is right by the entrance. It's the first level up, and it's called the Women's Courtyard. And obviously, this is the only level that women were allowed to enter into in the temple. Up until that point, they are not allowed to enter any further. That is for the men, all right? So the court of women. Can we show a close-up of what it looks like? Because that's kind of hard to see on the screen. Here's what it looks like. And so just picture Jesus teaching in the evening. And one of the things they do in the evening during the festival is that they have a lighting ceremony. And the lighting ceremony was that there were 12 golden bowls. 12 golden bowls that they would fill with oil. These are huge, large golden bowls that they would fill with oil and they would use the wick from the, the, the used undergarments of priests. 
They would use that as a wick and they would set it on fire. And rabbis say that when they did this at night, when the, when the 12 big golden bowls were lit, they said it literally illuminated all of Jerusalem. Because the light would shine through the limestone of the temple and it would light literally all of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is teaching this at the Feast of the Tabernacle. On the very last day, he's standing under these golden bowls with the light shining under him. And he declares, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. What does the word light mean? What does that word light mean? Literally, that word means savior. Savior. Jesus came to save us. That is the light of God. That is the hope for this world. We find the very first thing that God creates in the Genesis story is what? In Genesis 1-3. It's light, isn't it? In John chapter 1-5, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God even led the Israelites in the desert for 40 years with light. And he made the people of God sing about it. In Psalms 27.1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Gospel of John has this powerful light motif where that word light appears 16 times in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is our light. He's here to save us. Save us from what? Darkness. He's here to save you and I from darkness. That if you would believe in him, you don't have to live in darkness today. Let's just read verse uh, 12 again in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I'm a visual person. I'm just thinking about Jesus teaching this under these 12 golden bowls. And it's lit up. It's dark. And the light is spectacular. And when Jesus shared this, you can only imagine the thundering effect it might have. To remind these people that without me, there is darkness. That when you leave this temple, there's probably going to be darkness. To remind them of that reality. Jesus is our light. He doesn't make it personal necessarily. He says, I'm the light of the world. What that means is this. There's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Now, I know we live in a time where we're very pluralistic in everything that we do. But I want you to know, Jesus is making very clear, there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you're a Christian today and you believe in God, you must believe that there is no other hope but Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no other pathway to God but Jesus Christ. That's why he's the light. And we have to realize that. So how do we live in that? How do we live into the light? You ready for this? All right, you ready for this? We begin to live into the light of Jesus Christ when we stop invalidating him in certain areas of our life. When we stop invalidating him in certain areas of your life. What area of your life do you invalidate Jesus? What that means is where in your life do you often exclude Jesus from being a part of? Because the Pharisees did this and Jesus called them out on it. Look at verse 13. The Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. So the, so the Pharisees are saying, what you're saying is not valid. And what valid means, it means true. What you're saying is not true. They didn't believe in Jesus because they kept invalidating him. And so I think we do the same thing as well. That we somehow in our lives, that there are certain areas of our lives that we don't allow Jesus to accompany us or to be a part of in our lives. Sometimes that happens with our jobs. 
That as we're working in the marketplace, our vocational life, we don't invite Jesus to be a part of that. We don't allow him to accompany us into our vocational life. We sort of leave him at home or we leave him here and we just go and do our thing completely outside, not thinking that Jesus is a part and he's a part of us always. He's omnipresent, right? We do that sometimes and we take him out of that. We do that sometimes even in our marriage. That as we've gotten married and maybe we're struggling in our marriage, there are times that we get so jaded, perhaps as we think about why is this happening? Why is my marriage so hard? And what happens over time is that we no longer invite Jesus to accompany us because we don't think there's any hope anymore. And sometimes I get it. Sometimes there's no hope. And we have to make hard choices. But Jesus is the light. There's always hope when we know that Jesus is the light but we exclude him. We do that with our children. Listen, my kids are all adults now, except for Christian, he's 17, but he's still like a semi-adult. So I'm, I see this more now, because when your kids are little, you don't even think about this. But sometimes we're thinking, what's going on? And we exclude Jesus in our parenting. Just think about this for a second. And I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, to me too. Do your kids actually believe that you value Jesus in your life? Do they? Do you teach that? Do you sort of teach that through your actions? Or do they see more about how you encourage them to be per perfect in school, sports, whatever it might be? Right? And sometimes we parents and we don't allow Jesus to be a part of it. What areas of your life have you invalidated Jesus and you don't allow him to accompany you in your life? Right? Now, how do we really do this? Let me just break it down for you. All right? How do we begin to invalidate Jesus? Because none of us ever like, said that this is what we're hoping to do. How do we invalidate Jesus into certain areas of our life? It's when we lean or when we judge Jesus with our human standards. This is very dangerous. It's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were using their own human standards to judge Jesus Christ. Very dangerous to do. Look at verse 14. Very list verse, verse 14. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards. But I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. All right? When you and I use our human standards, another way to maybe say it is our own human logic, our wisdom, we will end up judging Jesus in a wrong way and then we will begin to invalidate him in certain areas of our life. Does that make sense? We do that all the time. And that's when we sometimes we find it so hard to live outside of darkness that when you're in it, it's just like, you know what? I didn't sign up for this, but you know what? Now that I'm here, I don't know if I want to go or leave. Because the thought of going towards the light, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's like if, if Eugene and I thought, Let's just sleep in the night, like darkness. Like we chose to be in darkness the entire night. And sometimes we make those conscious choices to do that. Listen, it takes faith to embrace Jesus as your light, especially when you're in darkness. But that's what you and I have to be willing to do. Are we willing to courageously trust and have faith in our God. Otherwise, what we'll begin to do, as you and I encounter certain things in our lives, as we begin to struggle, we're going to begin to use our own human logic to figure out who Jesus is or who Jesus isn't, and it's going to mess up our understanding of who he is. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. And so, and that's where the Pharisees were. Because they were leaning on their own human standard or their human logic, they couldn't believe that Jesus was 
the son of God. And that's why they say, there's no way. What you're saying is false. Oh my God, you're at it again. There he goes, saying these crazy things, that he's the light of the world. Like, are you serious? Because they're using their own human standard and their logic. And I know what Jesus is saying is scandalous here. It is scandalous. These I am statements are very scandalous statements because the first one, when he says, I am the bread of life, he lost all of his disciples that day. It was scandalous. This is scandalous as well. And that's why Jesus says in verse 17, this is important because in Jewish law, if something is to be true, if you give a testimony, in order for that to be true, there needs to be another witness. Right? And so in verse 17, he says this, your law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. This is key. Jesus' words are true not because of their persuasiveness, but because of their origin. It doesn't come just from him. He's saying, my testimony, the one who testified on my behalf, is my Father in heaven. That's key. So many of us, like the Pharisees, I think, we use our own human standards to sort of judge God in such a way that we start to think, and we have these warped ideas. Like I had a friend that whenever bad things happened to him, he thought those bad things were happening because God was angry at him because he didn't read the Bible and pray enough. Do you see how much, like when we lean on our human standard, we begin to think about God and we, come, we start judging Jesus in a way that's actually very toxic for our relationship with him. Right? And that happens a lot even as we think about, as we engage in life and as we go through dark periods of our lives. A lot of us, we come to this conclusion and we struggle with a question. We say, if God is truly love, because we know that God is truly love, a lot of us will say, then why? Why are these terrible things happening in my life? Like if God is truly love, why did this have to happen to me? in my life or in the lives of the people that I love so much. And so many times when we go through hardships, we naturally use that human standard, our human logic to sort of judge Jesus in a way where we say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus anymore. I've met so many people over the years of being the pastor of this church where they actually said to me, I don't believe in Jesus anymore because my marriage is so screwed up. I did the right thing, Peter. I married a Christian. And it's still so screwed up. Jesus is not the real God. I've met people who walked away from that. I've, walked, I've met people who've walked away in their relationship with God because somebody like a family member betrays them. These people who are quote unquote Christians. And I get it. It's hard, right? When Christians hurt you. And, they, and they're struggling in their faith to figure out if God's real or not. And they're like, you know what? God's not real because if this person is a Christian and they betrayed me, no, I'm done. I'm done. We lean on our own human logic and our standard and we walk away. And we have this notion where we believe that God's love is expressed from bad things, like to protect us so that evil things don't happen in our lives. Like a lot of us, we believe that. We believe that if God loves us, then he should prevent evil things from happening in our lives. But nothing is further from the truth when you look at the scriptures. Metro, we live in a broken world. And because of that, like a little 18-month-old boy like, like Jordan, Wesley's son, when he was diagnosed with leukemia, that was heartbreaking. Why would God take a little child and give him leukemia? We live in a broken and sinful world, and unfortunately because of that, broken and sinful things happen. 
It's just a part of life. Jesus warns us this is the reality. This is the dark world in which you and I live in, and we have to embrace it as such. So God's love isn't determined from him preventing or protecting you from evil things and happening in your life. God's love is found in his ability to be with you and be ever-present with you in those times of hardships. Amen? That's where God's love is found. And that's, that, it's his presence with you. And that's why when Jesus was on the cross and he was thriving in agony and pain and he saw those soldiers betting on who would get his cloak, what did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Why did Jesus pray that prayer? Because the Father was present with him when he was hanging on that cross. That's why he, that's why he prayed that prayer. You see, Jesus knew that the love of the Father is not necessarily prevent evil things from happening because if that was the case, Jesus would have went on the cross and said, God, you're not a God of love because this would not be happening to me. All the disciples were martyred for their faith. They could have been like, God, what's going on? I'm proclaiming your kingdom. You should be hooking me up. I shouldn't be experiencing this. They all were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Hardships is part of life. It's part of the broken world in which you and I live in. But the promise that God gives to us is that if we're not careful, our human standard will begin to determine, you know what, God, you're not real. I'm going to walk away from my faith in you. We see that happen time and time and time again. Hardships, darkness, things that we go through are opportunities where God could be ever present in your life. And if you allow it to, you're going to connect with God in a deeper way than you've ever connected with him before. But you got to give yourself the opportunity to lean on his presence during those hard times and stop blaming him for those dark times. You never forget those people who were with you in those darkest moments in your life. They stuck by you. You never forget, right? You may not believe this, but I was a sick baby when I was born. And so in the early 70s, Korea didn't have the kind of medicine when I was born in South Korea to take care of me. And so... The doctor said, you should probably move to America. There's an opportunity for Koreans to go to America in the early 70s. They're much, the medicine is much more advanced, so we moved. And uh, one of the things that I struggled with quite a bit was uh, I always had high, high fevers. And so I had a regular episode of seizures as a little kid growing up. And so, like, whenever that would happen, my mom would take me to the hospital. So one of the things that she required of my father was that she had to live, we had to live within walking distance of a hospital. So whenever that would happen, I would have a seizure episode that she can take me to the hospital. Things like that, right? My mother would lose sleep. My mother would wake me up in the middle of the night to make sure I had my antibiotics, all that stuff. She was fully present with me. That's why I never for one moment ever doubt, now that I'm 49 years old, that my mom, I never question if she loves me or not. Because I know she was there with me during my darkest moments of my life. I never blamed my mother for my sickness, for my lack of health. I knew she loved me and she was there for me every step of the way. Our human standards creates this warped understanding of God to the point that we think that he's out there to hurt us sometimes. But in a dark moment of your life, will you let go of your human standard and embrace the light of Jesus Christ, that he is love and he wants to be present with you. Even though God may know what the outcome is going to be, he'll still be there and he'll weep with you. He'll be present with you. The proof text of that is found in John eleven thirty-two 32 to 35. Jesus' best friends, some of Jesus' best friends was Lazarus and Mary. Lazarus was sick. They give word to Jesus, hey, can you please come and heal your best friend? 
Jesus doesn't. He waits till he dies. And look at what happens in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he was so present with Mary and entered into her pain and was present with her and cried with her. That is the proof text that God will always be with us when we're going through a season of darkness. Don't start asking, why did you allow this to happen? Just say, God, you're with me. Thank you. And journey with him. He will mourn with you. He will be present with you. He'll give you the strength to endure any season that you might be going through in your life. Amen? Amen. God will do that. we got to wrap our minds around that reality. But if we don't, and we begin to use our logic or our human standards to keep judging Jesus Christ, then you're going to do what these Pharisees did. Because last week, Pastor Doug talked about that woman that was caught in adultery. The Pharisees took the law to punish people. They were using the law to trap Jesus. And that's dangerous because God gave us the law in the Old Testament so that we can draw closer to him and have a healthy relationship with our God, live and have an intimate relationship with him. But when we use our own human standards, what begins to happen is we take something good like the law and we use it to punish other people. Does that make sense? And so that's why our human standard is a dangerous place to be sometimes, your own human logic, and we have to be willing to lay it down. So how do we do that? How do we lay it down? You ready for this? It's the last thing I got for you today. Surrendering to God who's in control. That's it. If you want to lay down your human standards, if you want to stop invalidating Jesus, if you're in this darkness in your life right now, you have to get to the point saying, I will surrender to God who is in control. Do you believe that God is in control right now? Do you believe he's in the control of the cosmos? Are you willing to surrender yourself to the God who's in control? Look at verse 20. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as a treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. What does that mean? People wanted to kill him. Very powerful people wanted to kill him. Could they have done it? Of course they could have done it if they wanted to, but they didn't. Why? Because God's in control. His time had not yet come. God's in control. You got to be willing to surrender yourself to the God who's in control. And so if you find yourself in this dark period of time right now, in order to get to that light, you got to be willing to surrender yourself to God. Are you and I willing to do that? So you can give yourself space to be honest about what you might be feeling towards God. Do that. But understand the foundation is always believing and knowing that our God is in control of everything. And no matter how dark your life might be, No matter what you might be going through today, Jesus is the light. He says you don't have to live in darkness anymore. You just have to believe that I'm in control. And surrender yourself to that. And let him open the doors in that way. And that's the gospel. That's how he redeems. That's how he brings life out of things that look like death in our lives. In your life and in my life. But I know sometimes it's so hard. When we're going through hard times and a dark time. But today Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You don't have to live in darkness if you should choose to follow me. This was a weird week for me, if I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't a great week by no stretch. And uh, I don't know what it was, man. But like 
I lost my temper so many times. I got angry at my children. I started yelling at them, right? I don't know what, and I'm trying to think, why? What's going on? And I I just think it was that time of the month for me, man. I mean, like, I think it happens for guys too. I'm serious. It happens for men. I was so moody this week. And if I were to ask my daughters, like, where was I on a scale of 1 to 10? They'd probably say, like, what, 9, 10? Pretty bad? Silly things, all right? So, like, one of the things that my kids always fight over when we get in a car is who has aux. Do you guys know what that means? Who's going to control the radio? Who's going to control what the music is? So they always go in the car, they go, I got aux. No, I got aux. No, I got aux. I'm like, who cares who's got aux? Right? And so they want aux. They want control so they can play their music. We were going to Christian's game. I didn't know where to go, so I need to, you know, get it on the Apple, Google, Apple CarPlay thingy. And I couldn't do it because Christina had her aux. And so I'm starting to get angry. We're driving. I don't know where I'm going. I'm like, could you get yourself off the aux? I start yelling at her. Right? And you can just sense the tension in the car and there's a sense of fear because I'm trying to drive a little fast too and a little reckless and they're all scared. And just, it's just, I don't know, man. I don't know why I did that, but I did. I got so angry. And then, like a couple days ago, like we have, we, have, we have two electric cars, 100% electric, and we have one SUV that's a gas guzzler. I come home and I see that they took out the gas guzzler to drive two miles. <laughs> and so it just, I, I, I don't know why. Again, it was that time of the month. I just, I just lost it. I went in the house and I said, I know you don't care about this because it's not your money that you're using, but please use the EV when you guys are driving like under five miles. All right, please. And I, and I, didn't, I actually I didn't say please. I was yelling at them. And so they were like, oh my God, here goes crazy dad again, right? And so Jenny comes out and she looks at me, she goes, what's wrong with you? And I looked at her and I said, what's wrong with you? (laughs) See, that was loaded. It was loaded. Because I had an issue with her this week. And she had a lot of issues with me this week. But the issue that I had was that, you know, one of my sisters is going through a real hard time right now. And uh, I felt like whenever her family goes through a hard time, I'm always there for them. I pick up the phone and always say, how you doing? What's going on? How can I help? And I was hoping that she would do it right away. Like, as soon as I told her, I thought she would perhaps maybe do it. But for her, I think she wanted more privacy. My kids would be around. So she didn't know how to really do that. But I start to get angry and upset that she didn't do it right away. And then I start getting into this darkness. And I start to think awful things about her. <laughs> and I was in there. And sometimes when you're in that darkness, you don't want it. But when you're in it, you sometimes don't want to leave. And I stayed in there just thinking through that. So when she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, what's wrong with you? There was, that was loaded. Loaded. I had to say sorry to the kids, of course. But I'm telling you. The, the, the power of darkness that sometimes hovers over my life in those moments, it's like you want to get out of it, but then you don't because you know it comes at a cost. It requires a courage and a faith. We had a talk yesterday, Jenny and I, and she used some really choice words to describe the kind of person I was this week that I'm not going to share with you, <laughs> all right? But all along, because I was so focused and I was in my own darkness, I had no idea that I was actually hurting her in the process. My mother's birthday is next week, and I didn't even tell her when it was going to be, and I expected her to just cook for it. She goes, it would be really nice if you brought me into the process and talked to me about when we should do this, especially when it's a working night. 
And I was like, oh my God, I didn't bring it up to you? And you know, like, I'm trying to get around it. I was like, I'm, I think I did. She goes, no, you didn't. I'm like, shoot, I didn't. We had to say, I had to apologize and we had to talk it through, work it out. And it's not easy because when you're in that darkness, there's a pull that says, don't go out. Don't do it. In the flesh, you just want to stay in there. Some of you have been in this darkness for too long. The light requires you if you want to go to it. Jesus says, you don't have to live in the darkness, but if you got to choose today. Are you going to rise up? And are you going to say, I am no longer going to invalidate Jesus by judging him with my own human logic and my wisdom and my standards? And are you going to surrender to the God who's in control? Because he truly is in control no matter what season you find yourself in today. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you believe in me, you don't have to live in darkness because you have the light of Jesus Christ. May you go to your Savior. May you go to the one who's the only hope for this world. And may he get you out of this darkness that you might find yourself in today. May you enter into the light. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. I'm going to give you just a moment if you can just go to God. Will you surrender to God who's in control? Because maybe right now your life is filled with so many questions. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Will you surrender to God who's in control? Some of you in some really struggling relationships right now. It could be your marriage. It could be a family member. It could be somebody who really deeply betrays you or has betrayed you. And it's easy to sometimes use our own human logic to sort of kind of understand God in some ways and fashion him a certain way. But will you lay that down today, surrender it, and surrender yourself to Jesus who's in control of your life? And you know the thing that we have to really surrender ourselves to, and I, and I forgot to mention it, is our pride. Because the Pharisees' pride is what prevented them from surrendering to Jesus. It was my pride this week that wanted me to live in the darkness. I didn't want to reconcile with Jenny or my kids and ask for forgiveness. It was my pride that said, don't do it. Don't do it. I think so many of us here today, our pride has led us to live in some dark places in our world, in our life. And so you surrender your pride today and just say, you know what? It's not about you. It really isn't. It's about Jesus. And if you would just take yourself off the throne and allow Jesus to sit there and you follow the direction in which he leads, things are going to change for you. But you got to lay down your pride right now. you got to surrender your pride to Jesus right now. You surrender it. Because if you don't, you're going to be like these Pharisees and you're going to indict them, you're going to yell at them. And eventually what these Pharisees did was they took the life of Jesus Christ. And so will you surrender your pride to him right now? Think about the areas that your pride has hindered you from encountering the light of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you just a moment to do that, and I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll get to worshiping. Go to God.
Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I'm gonna ask you to do something courageous today. If you wanna surrender yourself to the God who's in control, I'm gonna ask you to stand up so I can pray a blessing over your life today. Will you stand up and say, Peter, I'm gonna surrender my life to God who's in control. God. Amen. And so God, you see these people who have stood up. I thank you for their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray for a special impartation of your spirit to be upon them right now. And may they be able to live their lives surrendering their pride unto you. And so they can live their life knowing that you truly are the light and that you would take them away from this darkness that they have. I pray you would bless them. I pray, God, that they would know the height and depth and width of your love, God, and God, that you would resurrect and breathe life into areas of their life that often look like death. Bless them and be with them and watch over them in every step of the way. And it's in your name that we pray, amen, amen, amen. You could be seated, you could be seated.